Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Of course, we all sat down last year to fill out uh, Census 2022 and the results of that are out today and there's some really fascinating findings. Um, Our own Sean O'Regan here in the newsroom is with me in studio. Give us the, the top highlights, Sean, first of all. Well, the first big and major one, Andrea, is that it's the first time in 171 years that Ireland's population has exceeded the 5 million person threshold. So census night last year was on Sunday, the 3rd of April. And on that night, there were 5,149,139 people in the state. That's an 8% increase on the same figure from the previous census, which was back in April 2016. Mm. Now, if the mental maths isn't great, 171 years ago was 1852, which was the last year of the famine. Right. So it's taken pushing 200 years for us to yeah. recover and get back up over the 5 million mark. The, the county, um, county by county as well, there's been pretty much increases too, Sean, in the number of people living in each county, which I assume is something to do with COVID that people have relocated. Absolutely. Yeah, you see that right across the country, especially in the, the bigger areas, the Dublins, Corks and Galways. And another interesting one that jumped out at me, Andrea, mm. was of the just over 5 million people here, the average age of the population increased from 37.4 back in 2016 to 38.8 in 2022. So I'm the census. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, the exa- I'm the exact age of the census. So we're all getting older. Yeah, slowly but surely. brilliant. Look forward to that. Uh, the makeup, though, with that population, like it's the highest, highest it's been, as you said, in 171 years. But it's made up now of a lot more um, like Irish and dual Irish citizens. Absolutely. Yeah. 84% of the population put down in that form on that night on the 3rd of April that they were either Irish and dual Irish citizens. So the number of non-Irish citizens then increased since 2016 and it now stands just over 630,000 people, Mm. which represents 12% of Ireland's usual resident population. So the number of people then finally who recorded dual Irish citizenship was just over 170,000, which represents a whopping 63% increase from 2016. I remember here on the show just before census night last year, we had a lot of discussions around, um, I suppose, the religious makeup of the country and, you know, whether people, you know, if whether you're a Catholic or a non-Catholic, but you're not a practicing Catholic, does that mean that you tick the I'm a Catholic box? So what is the what are the findings from that? Well, this was the first year or one of the first years that there was a no religion category and that increased to just over 736,000 people while the Church of Ireland category showed little change, but it remains the second largest religious category in Ireland with just over 124,000. Now, the big one from the religion aspect of it, Andrea, was that, yes, Roman Catholic and people of that faith are still the most prominent across Ireland, but there was a significant fall in the number of people who identified it as a... It as was Catholic. As Catholic. Mm. It Mayo was, had the highest number of Catholics I saw in the figures today. They did indeed, yeah. yeah. And back more nationally, it was 79% in 2016, but it's dropped 10% down to 69 last year. Okay. So an interesting shift there. Yeah. Some of the other interesting bits, I suppose, that jumped out, um, the numbers working from home, Sean. Like it's, this is, I suppose, an element to the census that we never had before. Absolutely. This is a new type of question for the census, obviously going back what happened just over three years ago with the pandemic. But 750,000 people indicated that they work from home for at least some part of their working week. Four out of five business, media and public service professionals availed of working from home. So it's something I did myself when I was living in Canada. Enjoyed it for the most part, but the, the novelty worn off, I yeah. have to say. I'd say yeah. I must be one of the very few people who never worked from home. 
at all. Would you have in, liked it? In COVID. I would have liked, yeah. I, well, I had to for four days in January. Um, I was a close contact, so I had to do the show from home then. But other than that, I, I never did it. So I haven't, I'm, <laughs> the whole working and broadcasting in the tracksuit, I haven't quite got yeah. to uh, experience or enjoy. But yeah, I probably would have liked to, to try it maybe just to get a sense, you know, just I suppose to um, see what it was like. But I, I did it four days, if, if that counts. So I'm not really among the stats there. But anyway, um, home ownership was an interesting part of this too, I thought. Yeah, now these are the, the technical words that the CSO, that they put the sentences together mm. and released it this morning. So the proportion of owner-occupied dwellings continued to fall down from almost 70% to 66% in the 11 years from census 2011 to 2022. The number of households who rented their accommodation from a private landlord rose by 7% to just over 330,000 between 2016 and 2022 as well. Yeah. So you can see that that the private landlord uh, ownership and uh, renting out is slowly but surely increasing yeah, as well. Absolutely. And I know the one of the other figures too, and I want to hear from people today actually about this. I mean, in listening to the makeup of the country, where do you feel you sit on it? About um, oh, 1800 453 106 is the number if you want to give us a call. The number of un- unpaid carers also increased, increased by 53%. That's the number there. And commuting, I suppose, was the other figure, Sean, you had a quick look at. I did indeed. I just have to find my sheet there now. There it is. The number of people who drove to work increased by 4% to just over 1.2 million in those six years between 2016 and 2022. Yeah, so it's not just COVID related then that you think people might have been opting out of public transport and into their cars because this obviously is a comparison Absolutely. From the last number and of years as well. There was less people too on the, the train, the Lewis and the Dart. You see as well that a lot of, like you see the Environment Minister, Eamon Ryan, does be out at cabinet briefings and pre-cabinet briefings like we were down with him this morning. There, There is that push and that try and encouragement to try and get people mm. away from cars onto public transport. But going by this, there was still an yeah, increase. Abs- people don't absolutely. seem to be heeding it. Um, the other thing as well, I just noticed for myself from a quick look at the figures, um, there's more women than men in the country, but there's more single men than women. Absolutely. According to the figures. And the breakdown of that is there is just over 2.5 million men and just over 2.6 million women. So if we break that down into out of 100, it's 98 men for every 100 women. In the country. Yeah, the most number of single people in Galway and Dublin. Yeah. So, so Limerick, Louth and Waterford is where you, you need to go at the weekend then. Absolutely. That's where I'll be <laughs> yeah. going this Friday. Highest number of, <laughs> highest number of singles beyond uh, the capital city. Um, Father Paddy Byrne, who's the parish priest in Abbey Leaks um, and, and Raheen and Leash is with us on the show today. Paddy, are you in any way surprised by the drop in the number of Roman Catholics in, in, in Ireland? Good afternoon, Andrea, and a beautiful day to all your listeners. Yeah. Um, I suppose I'm surprised, greatly surprised and somewhat enthused that there's still 3.5 million citizens in the Republic tick the boxes, members of the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland. Um, we live, you've named the demographics, the population has increased significantly. 3.5 million is where the country was in terms of its overall population less than two decades ago. So I was surprised, I would have thought it would have been a lot less offering listening to a negative narrative that many people have and owned and disconnected from. But I suppose on the ground, I'm not really surprised. If you look up RIP.ie, still in our communities, the vast, vast, vast majority of people 
uh, have the Catholic ritual for their passing ceremony, for their Mass. Mm. Uh, we've just gone through First Communion season. We have our confirmations, baptisms, marriages. And I suppose in a positive thing, in a, in a time when I'm very concerned about the rise of xenophobia, particularly in Ireland, a lot of the new people who have come, remember, like that's over 12% of the Southern population, they have brought huge life and energy to our faith communities. Now, not just if you think of like that 69% tick to be members of the Catholic Church, then you have, as already named, the Church of Ireland and evangelical churches, but people from India, Curlip region particularly, the Philippines, uh, Africa. So I think it's a positive narrative. I think, obviously, I don't have my head in the sand. A lot of people who tick the box as members of the Catholic Church has also questions and issues around where we're going. But the fact that they're part of the community that I serve and love and are very visible and present among us, I think our challenge is to welcome, to include, and certainly I think it's a very, very positive uh, challenge that 3.5 million citizens of this republic still tick the box as members of the Catholic Church. Mm. Well, it's down about 10% from uh, from the 2016 figures. Jeez, but but bear, bearing in mind that 12% of the population has increased and many of those people come from different faith communities, yeah, particularly yeah. the Muslim what? tradition has grown exponentially what in, ab- the, in the past decade. What about, Father, the no, re- no religion category and the jump and the increase to that? How do you read that? I'm not surprised at all by that. Um, I'm not surprised by that, and I don't make judgment about that. In fact, I highly respect it that people have choice, and I think it's great that people have choice, and I welcome that. People have choice in terms of also, we need, I think my prerogative is to support those who have made the choice to tick the box at 70% almost of the population and to engage, to listen, and to allow them positive experiences because, you know, life is tough, Andrea, you, you detail there St. Vincent de Paul, of which many Catholic people support so frequently mm. at all our masses, listening to parents who are under huge difficulty, listening to young people struggling for homes and housing and rent. Life is tough. And I think no matter what spirituality you have, respectfully, to have hope, to have a context that there's something greater than a positive sense of self and of life and a little bit of comfort and consolation and I think the vast majority of people as demonstrated with 3.5 million people just from the tradition I belong to and doing it in 2023 after a church that has gone through two decades of dramatic, dramatic change because particularly of scandal. I'm really overwhelmed that it's such a huge number. Okay. Uh, the other the other um, figure or headline that cer- certainly jumped out at me today was the number of unpaid carers and the fact that that is, it's increased by 53% um, to more than 299,000. This is between 2016 and, and last year. So for any of you that's out there today in a caring role, providing unpaid care, to somebody in your life. I'd love to chat to you on the show today. You can give me a call. It's 1800-453-106. Phelan um, Jose is the chairperson of the Dublin Commuter Coalition. Phelan's um, with us on the show today. Are you surprised by the number of people still commuting by car and the drop in those using rail? Um, it's a nuanced picture, I think. So there's been a drop, in, a 4% drop in the number of people travelling by Lewis or Dart or train, but there's been an increase in students and third, like third-level students who increase who use public transport. 
and there's been an increase in the number of people cycling and uh, most importantly I think there's been an increase of 88% in the number of primary school children cycling to school and 79% in the number of secondary school children cycling to school so there's a lot of good things there and but like you said you know the big thing there uh, that also stands out is a 4% increase in the number of people driving to work so it's, 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 it's overall, Fadjan, it's fairly positive from your perspective? There's a lot of good uh, indicators there. Um, the driving, I think, possibly driven by COVID. A lot of people uh, going back to work maybe a few days a week and opting for the car as opposed to taking public transport. But like I think I've always said, a lot of people have always said that uh, transport will be the most difficult sector to decarbonise and uh, we need to do a lot more. And I know... Uh, like there's been more and more measures. Like recently, we saw the College Green Plaza, sorry, the College Green Busgate being made 24 mm-hmm. hours to make it more, you know, efficient to yeah. get a bus across Dublin City. Okay. We were not just not just during work hours, not just during peak hours, but in the evenings and in, you know, on the weekends as well. And we're seeing more and more cycle lanes rolled out and more and more bus routes coming. Uh, to towns and villages around the country. So mm. there's a lot of good things being done, but we need to do a lot more to kind of reverse that trend. And yeah, you know, basically we have to reduce the emissions and transport. Yeah, so more more, cer- more, certainly to do. And I suppose a big part of that too could be helped by the fact that there's about 750,000 people who said um, they're working from home and working from home for at least some part of their week. It's about a third of employees. Uh, which is which is quite interesting and obviously very different from um, you know results that we would have seen through previous census. It was a, a new question added to the form last year as well. Um, I mentioned the carers because I know that is something that relates to well we can tell today quite a lot a number of, uh, quite a lot of people nearly three hundred thousand. Catherine Cox is the head of communications and policy with Family Carers Ireland. Catherine, were you surprised by the uh, the number of people who identify as full time unpaid? carers in this country? Uh, not at all, no. Um, we've been saying, I suppose, for many years that the figures in the census don't necessarily reflect the number of actual carers in this country. And we would say that the number is closer to 500,000 family carers. But we would certainly welcome the increase. It's an increase of 53% on 2016 mm. um, census. So it's gone, as you said, just close to 300,000 family carers providing full-time care. Um so it is so important, and we've said this for so long, that it's so important that we acknowledge and recognise how many carers are in this country, but also the really important and valuable work that they're doing. And these figures help us to plan for the future and help us hopefully to put in place the services and supports that are required so that carers can say, uh, care safely in their own homes. Um, and we know, you know, over the last few weeks in particular, we've seen all the, in the media around lack of respite for carers, lack of supports, children on waiting lists for two years for vital assessments and therapies. So figures like this help us to, you know, to put in place that planning. But we have all, when we have asked the census and we would hope maybe with the next census that the question that is actually asked around carers, we would like to see that question changed because it does ask, 
are you providing unpaid yeah. care in the home? And a carer who might be getting carer's allowance might look at that and think, okay, well, I'm getting carer's allowance, so I'm paid, and they may not tick that yeah. box. So, so we, that's, we that was a part thing. of the, I don't want to say the problem, but that, mm. that's sort of an issue with this, isn't it? That like the, it, because of the way the question, because of the number of changes to the question, yes, that yeah, can it, affect the compar- comparability. It can. And look, the other issue is sometimes carers don't self-identify because a mom, a dad has a child with a disability. Of course, they, they see themselves as a parent first and foremost. So they may not identify that they are also a family carer. Um, so that self-identification and awareness is really, really important. But look, we welcome the very significant increase. Um, we will continue to lobby and hopefully our next census will go even further in, you know, getting that figure closer to, we would um, say that there's probably 13% of the population are providing care. And that's based on figures from the UK and other countries. The figure that we have today is closer to 6% of the population. So there is still a gap there between the numbers that we believe are providing care um, and the numbers that actually tick that box on the census. Mm. It's 50 to 59. Is that the age profile or the demographic of people most likely to be providing care? Yeah, and that's what's come out from the census. And quite often they might be, you know, either caring for adults at this point of uh, intellectual disability, or they might be in that sandwich generation where they might be caring for children, but also then caring for an elderly relative. So it could be a parent, a grandparent. You know, for obviously for many carers, particularly with a child with a disability, that caring is lifelong, cradle to grave. Um, And for us, what's so important is that those numbers are captured. But as I said, that those carers are adequately supported um, and the services are put in place, respite is put in place to allow them to care, to get a break when they need it and to get the services they need right from education to respite, Mm. um, you know, to health care so that, you know, we see so many carers unfortunately reaching burnout because they are not getting those And given the age, I suppose not necessarily the um, well, the age profile too that we're, we're talking about according to the census figures today. I also see just on the question around population and Sean mentioned that a few moments ago as well the highest increase in population was reported in the over 70s mm-hmm. 26% so we're, we're living uh, to we a are. much older and, and longer age I, I actually find this fascinating I'm always really intrigued by the stats and the highlights that come out um, from the census if you're interested in this um, when they looked and examined um, at a county by county basis Galway and Dublin recorded the highest proportion of single people uh, the two cities also had the lowest proportion of married people um, in Galway and Dublin 7% each of those in Wexford and Longford recorded the highest percentage of divorced or separated people uh, Leitrim and Mayo had the highest percentage of widowed people reflecting the age profile of the county Limerick, Louth and Waterford the highest number of single people just after Dublin City and there's more single women in Dublin City than men so if you're a single woman in Dublin you're snookers Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. We're talking about the census results out today. A couple of really interesting findings. It's the first time in 171 years that our population exceeded the 5 million threshold. The average age is 38.8. There's a drop in the number of people who identified as Roman Catholic, but still 69% of those that took part in the census and census night last year identify as Roman Catholic. Um, The first ever question on smoking in a census 
was asked last time out, it returned some interesting findings. About 13% of the population smoke either daily or on occasion. About a million people say they've given up smoking and just over 3 million say they've never smoked. So that leaves about 450,000 people who smoke daily. Um, Yeah, smoking rates higher among men than women and people in their 20s and 30s smoke the most. Um, It's highest among 15 to 19 year olds uh, is that highest? Sorry, 15 to 19 year olds at 6% smoking of uh, of that particular age category. I also mentioned about a third of um, employees out there working from home for at least some part of their working week. And quite a lot of texts coming in on that today. Damien McCarthy is with us from the HR Buddy. Damien, like, it was, that's a new, that was a new question to the census, but we, we all know people still working from home. Uh, yes, Andrea, uh, good afternoon, uh, first of all. Um, yeah, I, I think overall, first of all, from an employment perspective, this is a very positive um, uh, census um, with regards to the very low unemployment rates and so on. But in comparison to the 2016 census, we're in a completely different world of work because COVID uh, came along and drove everything forward about 20 years with regards to remote and flexible working. So uh, no surprise that uh, one third of people uh, are saying that in, that in 2022 uh, they work from home for at least some part of the week. It's an extraordinary uh, change to happen in such a little time. Uh, to be fair, um, I suppose there are a few question marks going on into the future. I also saw in the census that 80% of homes have access uh, to broadband internet. Well, if you look at that statistic, that means that one in five workers, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to break it down, don't have the facility really to actually work from home successfully. So I think that's uh, a very interesting statistic that I zoned in on with regards to uh, remote working and actually the infrastructure that we have in this country still actually isn't good enough uh, in going forward if only 80% of homes say that they have internet access or proper broadband internet access. And are those that don't presumably, are they rural areas? Uh, yeah, well, lar- uh, largely rural areas, as far as I know. But um, I, I did zone in on that statistic that only eighty percent. I think it is actually claimed that it's much higher. But it was interesting in the consensus that it was it was at eighty uh, percent. But I think it's one of those areas which impacts obviously very heavily on employers and employees tr- trying to consistently, um, you know, get into. Uh, consistent, well-run, remote work, remote working teams inside an organisations. So I think there's very definitely an area of improvement there that the government should fo- focus on. But I think overall, with regards to uh, employment inside in, in the census, it's extremely positive with regards to you know the unemployment rates. It says 2.3 million people at work. Um, actually, the latest CSO figures tell us that there's, in the first quarter of this year, tell us that there's 2.6 million a, a, at work. So if you're going to see any government ministers uh, clapping themselves on the, on, on the back in the next 24, 48 hours talking about the census, they're more than likely going to be uh, using those statistics about uh, the employment rates and very low unemployment rates and so on. And it is extremely positive, of course, that as a country we bounce back uh, from the disruption of COVID mm. and that we have very low unemployment rates well, as well. Religion is the, the one, I suppose, that quite a number of listeners have got in touch with us about. But aside from um, the religious makeup of the country, it's the working from home stat that is interested 
most people here today, Damien, um, on, on, on the text line. This listener says, we, with remote working, we've actually missed our chance to make a decent change to people's working life balance. We're, we were well able to do our work from home, but now companies insist that we're in the office every day. It adds three hours to my day with commuting. I don't get home till about half past seven. The kids go to bed at eight. When I was working from home, I got those three hours with the children. Now I get a half hour at most says this listener. Another texter, working from home is a very delicate issue. Companies already thinking, why would they pay full salary when they can hire somebody a lot cheaper in different countries? I think it'll create more job losses, says this texter. Yeah, well, you, and you can also argue that uh, from a rural development point of view, um, there is much better opportunities now. Um, take, for example, that point that you can hire workers abroad. Well, uh, take a, an organisation in Dublin. They now have a talent pool throughout the whole country. And, you know, that has been to the advantage of many workers inside in the hiring processes as well. And if you can operate uh, remotely or in a hybrid uh, fashion within your organisation, that gives maybe job opportunities to people in Kerry, Cork, Galway, Clare, Sligo and Donegal that weren't available to them previously. Um, with regards to the other point there from the, the text they're in, uh, with regards, I suppose, to really what we're talking about is work-life balance. Um, and I suppose maybe there is a perception that post-COVID now uh, that we're in the clear, employers are looking to get employees back in uh, to the workplace. Um, I think that narrative is very much being played out uh, across the media. And I think we need to be careful uh, as well in you know what who we're listening to, because very often it's the big name C who are out there in the media trying to put across this narrative that everyone is getting back into the office, back into uh, the workplace. When actually we're doing remote work very well in this country, one third of people telling you uh, that you know that they operate from home at least one day a week, they're impressive figures. And I think what we what we must do, or what the government must do, is take those figures and build on them, but make sure that we have the right infrastructure in place that it makes sense, because the workplace goes back to work-life balance family life um, you know the cost of living commuting costs oh, the time it. spent in the car as your, as your texter is saying there these are very big things with regards to well-being uh, for the entire country and it comes back again to work-life balance uh, and the workplace so yeah. it's really really important 80% of households as you mentioned had a broadband connection last year that's up from 71% in 2016 this texter though says I couldn't work from home even if I wanted to we still have terrible broadband and I'm only living in Kildare I'm not out in the islands it's so it frustrates me to listen to these yeah, well, uh, stats today and I don't think it's uh, very impressive that uh, between 2016 and 2022 that that figure only went from uh, 71 to 80% it's often claimed that uh, that's up in the, the mid 90s and as we found out from the census now today that's actually completely false and incorrect only 80% of people are saying uh, and a lot of unfortunately there are still an awful lot of workers who probably could you know get that flexibility and life, life work balance uh, that they want mm. by operating remotely or in a hybrid fashion yeah. it can't be done well, because they don't have good enough connection at home. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.